It's Reading Aloud. It's a special episode of Reading Aloud. I'm your host, Nate Cordry. Thank you for listening. We have an amazing interview today that I am devoting the entire episode to because it was so compelling to me. Uh, John Cryer came into the studio to talk about his new book, So That Happened, which is a, a memoir he wrote about his experiences in Hollywood and New York and growing up in the city and being a creative person and all the ups and downs you have to negotiate in a career like this. Um, but before we get to John, I want to mention two things. The book club, of course, is in two weeks. So you have two weeks to finish up Tenders the Night, F. Scott Fitzgerald. This is the first uh, classic book that we're doing on the book club. And I am about halfway through now, and it's, it is so great. It is so beautiful. And people talk about this being one of the most specific and honest portrayals of mental illness like in literature and I buy it because it's it's really painful but also really beautiful too and it's a real fun time to explore the 20s it's the lost generation it's all these cool creative weirdos living in the south of France and everything that happens in their lives it's great and really rich and compelling and Fitzgerald is um, he's he's pretty good at writing so pick it up and check it out, and then we'll do our book club in two weeks. The second thing I want to let you guys know about is the next live show uh, at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater on Sunday, this Sunday, the 12th at 7.30. It's five bucks. Uh, we have amazing readers, uh, Jason Manzukas, James Urbaniak, uh, Allison Becker, uh, Mary Grill, Molly Ephraim, uh, Jeffrey Aaron. Uh, we have a lot of people coming in and reading stuff for the first time, which is really exciting. So, uh, and, the, and the pieces that they're reading are really funny. I was rereading re them yesterday and trying to decide which pieces to give to which actor, uh, and they're really fun. There's a lot of pieces from McSweeney's. There are two pieces from The Onion. Anyway, it's this Sunday, April 12th at 7.30, five bucks. So come down to the UCB on Franklin and, and check us out. Now, let's get to the heart and soul of this episode. This is John Cryer, and you're listening to Reading Aloud. Yes. Thanks for coming in. Oh, my pleasure. My I'm pleasure. So excited to talk to you about this book. I read it. I read it yesterday <laughs> in as, a in one fell swoop. A, yes, I sat <laughs> on my fury. couch, in a <laughs> ignored my life, and read this book from fucking cover to cover. <laughs> and boy, do I have questions. John Cryer <laughs> is my guest. He has a book called "So That Happened," a memoir which comes out um, on the seventh. Of April, of April yeah. um, and this is airing on the on the 10th, so uh, this book is available in your local bookstores, listeners, so go out and get it. It is fantastic. It delivers everything that you want it to deliver. This is a very specific genre book, a, uh -huh. a Hollywood memoir book. Yes. And when they don't work, you, go on, you, you think, this person didn't have a reason to write this book. They're <laughs> running it just to write it. You have a reason to write this book. Well, thank you. Well, that is good to hear. Yeah. Because that when I started, <laughs> I did not have a reason. Uh-huh. It was kind of a dare uh, how this book came about. Uh, what happened was I, I, during the last season of the show, we, we, we knew it was coming, we, we, you know, of Two and a Half Men. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and my uh, my agent and my manager, a woman named Sarah Clossie and my manager named uh, uh, Connie Tavel, 
came to me and said, hey, you know, if you ever wanted to write a book, now would be a great time. And I said, well, you know, that's funny because, no, I've never wanted to do that. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and they said, well, you know, we think we could, you know, we could sell a book. Uh, and I said, no, I don't think you could. Uh, and I said, listen, if you can sell one, I'll write one. <laughs> and they came to me like two weeks later and said, we we sold a book. So now you got to write one. <laughs> so I was, it, I was petrified because I didn't know what I wanted the book to be about. Uh, so I, you know, and, and I, and I believe me, I get it that, uh, I am so lucky to be in that position because there are people who have yearned their lives to write a book. Certainly. Uh, and, and I, and I, I have earned your hatred at this moment. I deserve it. <laughs> uh, I understand. I will, I will bathe in your hatred for the next half an hour, uh, because I'm sorry. Cause I, I accepted this without knowing what I was going to write about. Uh, and the more I thought about it, I, I realized that, you know, there's been a lot of sort of surreal experiences I've had yeah. being in the entertainment industry and that maybe there was some value in relating that to yeah. people, that it's just – it's a strange ride. And, uh, you know, the, the first time I got together with the publisher, I mentioned the the story that opens the book, the, the Robert Altman story, uh, and she said, that's it. That's the book. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, okay. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and I, uh, but it was interesting because to me, I was always writing a humor book, right. uh, uh, you know, um, but what it ended up being was what, what you said, which is a Hollywood memoir of, uh, you know, a, a memoir of the, the, you know, funny, surreal times that I've had, but as well as some of the not great times. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, 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 but it took me a long time and a lot of working on the book to sort of realize what the book was. To me, it ended up being a, a story about a, a about a creative life life lived and the negotiation that you had with your own insecurity and coming to terms with it. And j j there are moments in the book where you you are sort of handcuffed by this insecurity that you have, and. And then there are other times where you sort of rise above it, and well, yeah, that was the the the, the mystery to me uh, is that I I had this weird combination of tremendous uh, anxieties and insecurities, and yet this weird semi delusional belief that I could succeed in show business anyway. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which yeah. makes no sense. Uh, and and th th there's you know I, I I make that point many times in the book that I don't know why I had both of those things. You would think one would cancel out the other. Right. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, but I also, as I said, had a, a real love of the surreal, of, of strange things. So I ended up having that happen to me. And what I realized also during the course of writing the book was that my life was actually a series of escalating uh, episodes of weirdness, uh, you know, starting with things when I was a kid and going to, you know, ending with the the craziness that was the the, the sheen meltdown. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and I realized, oh, okay, I guess that gives, that's the structure of the book. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know that when I started. I, when I started, I knew I wanted to write my, the first story I wrote was the uh, the uh, the play in London that uh, that went so catastrophically wrong. Yeah. Um. And but I because I knew that I knew that story and I said okay and I just started typing. You right. know. Uh. And but 
the, the, the sh- but I didn't know how on earth that was going to fit into the narrative of the book. Sure, sure. To me, the dichotomy they talked about earlier about having the, these the issues with insecurity and fear, and then this overwhelming confidence that those two things battling each other constantly, always. That is that's a fu- that's fascinating to me. And you write really, you're very candid about all of it in the book, and. I felt there are times when I when I nodded my head and said sort of like good for you. Oh, thanks. For, 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 <laughs> not only for having that moment, but to share it with millions millions of people. Oh well, I thought took this book took real courage to well, write. Well, thank you. Well, did now okay? Do you go through the same thing? Because well, this is half half the interview is me. It's, I don't want to <laughs> alienate my audience, but. <laughs> I kind of just want to have. No, let's let's alienate because them. I, like I already <laughs> alienated a bunch of people. Say I got a book deal without even trying. So go you know, fuck I'm, yourself. I'm that asshole. Yeah. So, yeah. so well, join me I, in the asshole <laughs> club. Yeah, I want to turn everyone off. If you um, could. <laughs> no, it's it's a constant. It's I. This is a conversation I always have when I meet actors or any sort of creative person who's pursuing a creative life. Um, that negotiation you have with yourself of. Uh, when you're con- when people people are constantly t- saying no to you, mm-hmm. it's really hard not to take that no as a personal no. Yes, and to and to buy into it and to believe it. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I've learned just in entering my thirties um, is that to me, a, a, a fuller life is more important than a full creative life. And it's so much it's so easy to maintain your sanity when you're working. Mm-hmm. The real hard work is between jobs. Yes. And not riding that roller coaster of oh I'm so close and oh no one fucking wants me and mm-hmm. oh god I'm and you just start to sort of spiral. That is brutality. And yes. it's really dangerous. Yeah. But and see I, I disagree. See in, in that no, I don't disagree, but but I, I disagree as to what's the good part. <laughs> you were saying yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that having the the full creative life, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, but when my life feels like a mess, uh, uh, that's not my professional life. That does not. Uh, uh, I uh, those are supposed to be the times that uh, that you really dig down deep, and that's when you're really progressing as a person. Not yeah. me. Uh, Right. <laughs> I'm just a mess during right. those times. <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, but you know, the the uh, uh, I I do. I have come to a real place of uh, of some peace in terms of realizing that the right things will happen when they're supposed to. Yes. Um, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, I try to make that point um, because there's so many auditions that I felt like I was so close to. Right. And so, and, you know, the, it, 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 it didn't happen. And, uh, uh, you know, I talk about that, that uh, you know, a lot of people like to sort of make much of the fact that I, I auditioned for Chandler in Friends. Right. Well, I had an audition, you know, it's, and you know what, yeah. honestly, it didn't go great. Right. <laughs> I didn't get it, you yeah. know, but people like to, but, but, you know, people like to make it sort of a, a oh, story. what, what life I could have led, you know, I could have dated Julia Roberts. Right. You know, <laughs> I could have been Matthew Perry. You have a great mm-hmm. quote about it um, because you did, when you were doing the Coney Island movie, when you were on the other side of the camera, when you were in the audition rooms as mm-hmm. a producer, director, and you were um, seeing actors walk into a room and walk out, and you were able to see the other side, be on the other side of the table, you write in the book, um, you'll have a healthy life as an actor if you realize auditions aren't missed opportunities, there are parts you weren't supposed to get. 
Yeah. Tell me, tell me about that. Well, it just it it uh, uh, again. If you if you have a chance to sit in on auditions <laughs> and read yeah. with a million people. Yeah. Uh, uh, but what he's talking about is I, I, I produced a, an independent movie uh, at one point, And because I knew I was going to be in the movie, I ended up reading with all the actors who were auditioning. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it was a transformative experience for me because um, I saw great, Actors come in and blow it, yeah, uh, and just be just awful, yeah. You know, and I and I and I saw people surprise me, and I saw people come in and do a great job, but you know, just not be the right person, right? Uh, and and that uh, was uh, you know, and and sometimes the the reasons that we're casting are so arbitrary. You know, it's like I I can't cast. That person who was wonderful because honestly they look like that right. girl's older brother, yeah. and you know, and if and that'll be distracting to people, and they'll get confused because yep. just because he's got that dark hair and da da da, you know, and you and you, it feels stupid and facile, but it's true. It's, it's art. That's it, it, part you know, of the deal. Every, yeah. every element of a of a film is very important. Yep, uh, and it's incredibly subtle uh, what you're looking for. So. Uh, what I learned is, you know, if you if you show up at the audition prepared. That's all you can do. Exactly. Just yeah. be prepared. Have fun. Give it your best, uh, and uh, uh, you know. And then you have to let it go. Do you still carry that with you today? Yes, to, to a degree. I'm I, I'm still super nervous uh, in auditions. I have to sing for. <laughs> I'm not. Oh, I am not yet a confident singer. Oh yeah. Uh, right. But that's. Uh, but almost everything else uh, works out well for me. And I. And that's great. I don't. Uh, Although sometimes, interestingly, uh, and you were talking about the the part that fear plays in yeah. making art and being an actor and being a performer, um, art uh, for, for me, uh, fear has been a component of everything, every performance I've given. Uh, uh, I still get absolutely petrified on 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 show night. I get you know if I if I'm performing live, if I'm performing, yeah. uh, if I'm when I was doing Two and a Half Men on Friday nights, I uh, you know every show night, yeah, I, you know I'd just be pacing my trailer for hours and working on my lines, working my lines, working my lines, working my lines, uh, and uh, you know it it that fear never deserted me. Hmm. Uh, and I keep and I'm so envious of the people who I see who appear. Not to have it, uh, you know. Like I worked with Neil Patrick Harris uh, at one point, and he just doesn't ever seem frightened. Yeah, uh, and I, I'm sure he is. He's a human being. Sure, uh, but he never seems like it. Uh, right. Same thing with like uh, Stephen Colbert. You know, he yeah. and I uh, uh, got to work on something, and and uh, and he's just got such a brilliant improvisational mind. Yeah, that he, I think, on some level, he feels prepared for whatever's going to get thrown at him, mm -hmm. I guess. But again, he felt nervous about singing. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, absolutely. So he and I shared that. You have, there's a great moment that I love in the book about um, when you did um, Superman 4. And um, when I feel like, oh, I hope I can fucking find it. Um, you took notes. You oh, like yeah. Little, little well, slips goddamn of paper. Right, man. And <laughs> I fucking get prepared. <laughs> this, is, this is big shit. Um, oh, I really... I feel like it's here, but oh, come on, baby. Well, I might remember it. Well, there was uh, <laughs> you worked you worked on Superman four with Gene Hackman. Yes, and you talk about him. Here it is. Um, you said, 
you can probably read this because you wrote the fucking thing. But, um, <laughs> That's the audio book. <laughs> yeah, exactly, can... <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm the host, goddammit. Um, Gene was also workmanlike. He'd show up, do what was asked of him, maybe have a little fun with it, and then totally put it out of his mind. It was all about the golf he was going to play after he was through for the day, and he couldn't care a whit about the movie. That was something of a disappointment to me because I assumed you'd all... We'd all look at this as iconic, honoring this great franchise. In retrospect, Gene probably noticed the corner cutting and saw it as the writing on the wall. I sort of, I read that passage and thought, God, Gene Hackman has so much confidence and he has such, he's, you know, he's a fucking icon that as soon as they call cut and they say, you're done for the day, it is gone. Mm -hmm. He carries no work baggage home with him. He, and then he's then he's off, and then he's having dinner and and playing yeah. golf and seeing friends and watching, doing whatever the fuck, living his that, life. That was absolutely the impression I got. Yeah, God, and uh, that see, <laughs> to me like that is my dream. Uh -huh. That's what I want. I want to yes, be able to be not be in my head. Yeah. and I'm all, I'm all, there are times when, when that's there, and mm -hmm. I guess it depends on the the job and how invested I am in it and how difficult it is for me to perform. Mm -hmm. But that I just was so envious. That well, he just said. That, well, yeah, th this movie, Superman Four, is known as just the bastard stepchild of the <laughs> the Superman franchise. Uh, it is it is arguably the worst uh, uh, piece of Superman uh, uh, movie, <laughs> and p p you know, mm -hmm. a p I don't know, piece of mythology or whatever you would refer to it as. Right. It's uh, it's terrible. What happened, and I explained this in the book, was uh, it was meant as sort of a reboot of Superman. Right. Uh, uh, Christopher Reeve had written a uh, 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 had actually. Uh, written the story for the script yeah and uh, and it was a really fun story and uh, they had reassembled the, the cast from the original they'd gotten Margot Kidder back and they you know and it was gonna be it was a very exciting thing to be yeah. a part of yeah and then the company that was uh, uh, producing it was a company called Canon which was known for making terrible sort of uh, throwaway uh, B movies B movies yeah and, or Z movies I mean they were terrible right. Delta Force you know yeah. and, uh, and what happened was they Way they 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 got in way over their heads and did not know how to marshal the amount of money that it would take to make one of these movies. Right. So within a month they were out of money, uh, and all of a sudden the production you could tell on the production that it was that it was going south that they were right. running out and they were cutting huge uh, huge uh, scenes and uh, you know scenes that I knew they needed for the plot. Um, <laughs> And uh, and so I, the the so but it was interesting to me because instead of uh, reacting the way I did, which was sort of panic, uh, 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 Gene clearly and and this this was meant to uh, you know it's uh, the, the, when you read it I said oh I hope that doesn't sound like a slag because it's not yeah that he was workmanlike it was that he he understood what was going on to to some degree. And understood that there was nothing he could do about exactly. it. Exactly. Um, so he would show up, uh, do his scenes very well. He was—he's Lex Luthor, you know. He's fun, you know. Yeah. He's, he's like Gene Hackman. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, we had a great time. Uh, then the second they yelled cut, he was out of there and uh, done for the day and and was not worrying about it. Not like me, yeah. who was crestfallen and calling home and crying of course, and, you yeah. know, <laughs> because I wanted to be in a great Superman movie. Do you think that is just because he had more experience and he'd seen, yes, he'd I'm seen certain. that happen a thousand times? Yeah, what, 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 what happens is, as performers, because sometimes you can save a scene. Sometimes, you know, some mm. improv line can make things better. Sometimes mm. you can come up with, a, you know, when you're working on 
mom or something, you you say, you know, I got a pitch here mm-hmm. and you got a great line and it kills and yeah. everybody's happy and you just right. saved a scene, you know. So you do have some limited ability to affect the situation. Yeah. Um, and uh, 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 so, you so you know, I remember the very first show, uh, the first TV show that I did as a series was a, called The Famous Steady Z. And I took it so personally when it started – Cratering, you know. I took it so personally. I thought there's got to be some way I can oh, d- d- can do this. I can fix this, you know. And I couldn't. Obviously, you know. It's it's uh, it, it, you know the 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 one thing that 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 age has given me besides jowls uh, <laughs> is the is is the knowledge of of what uh, what I can't control. Um, of what I, you know, what, you know, you can give good energy and do your best and, you know, throw your pearls before swine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, right. uh, uh, but you, you, you know, there, there is a limit yeah. uh, and you can't hold yourself responsible beyond that. But you do, you are responsible to work your, your butt off yeah. and, and, and the, give them the best that you can. And th- but those things cannot be learned when you're, you know, 23. No. You can't, and you can't, those are, those aren't even acting or creative lessons. Those, those are just life lessons. Mm-hmm. Like you can't teach a class in that in, in MFA, MFA program. You learn that mm-hmm. when you're out in the industry and you're seeing how it actually works yeah. and that you are one fucking Tiny person. Tiny cog in this huge in this, machine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> machine of magic. Yes. That <laughs> like you can't control that fucking shit. Yes. I just felt relief that like, well, maybe you get to a point where you can, when you can go home and leave it all behind and not be wound up about it all. Mm-hmm. I, that 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 is, I don't know, it's something that I sort of aspire to. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I could I, be, yeah. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope you're right. Uh, I, I, I have yet to achieve it. Uh, right. I have some, as I said, I have some peace with what I can't control. Yeah. Um, but I'm still just super sure. nervous. And, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I, doing talk shows, oh, my gosh. Every time I'm about to do a talk show yeah, because yeah. I feel like it's so personal that I have to have a bunch of great material for these right. people. Right, You know, and uh, and I shouldn't. Everybody says, no, you just go on and you gab and you make a couple of jokes and you get out of there. It's no big deal, you know. And yet – I am filled with with terror. But that's every time. also because it's it's you. Like when you're on a TV show or a movie, yes. you're playing a character, character. and you can yeah. hide behind something. Yeah. When it's you, all is revealed. Yes. And if they if they like you or don't like your performance, it's you. Yeah. And I and I that's what I would get fearsome. I haven't really done talk shows, but I would carry that fear like this doesn't go well. It's not because I can always blame it on a writer for writing a shitty line of dialogue. Yes. <laughs> this this is just me being someone that people don't, don't like. find particularly entertaining yep. or funny. That's worrisome. <laughs> Were there other Hollywood memoirs that you like loved reading that maybe inspired you that that uh Well, I hadn't read many. Yeah. Um I uh, uh Art Linson wrote a couple that were great. Um, and who's uh, that? I don't uh, Art Linson is a, a producer. Um, uh, he produced like Untouchables and oh, wow. uh, I think Fast Times at Ridgemont High or one of those. Um, uh, and he still w- works quite a bit. Uh, and he's written a couple of very funny uh, uh, memoirs um, that are one about doing a, a movie with. Uh, David Mamet and Alec Baldwin that was hilarious. State uh, in Maine? Uh, no, uh, it was not. Uh, 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 it was the the bear or the the. Um, there was a there was huh. an adventure movie. Uh, oh, with, uh, with Meryl Streep. That one. Somebody. Yeah. No. I. Oh, gosh. No. Anthony Hopkins 
and yeah, yeah. Alec Baldwin, I believe. Were they in a boat in a river or something? They were in the middle of the wilderness. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Fighting yes. a bear together yes, or yes. something like that. Fuck, and David I'd, Mamet wrote the script to that. I wonder if um, um, uh, how did this get made? If they've done an episode of for that. Uh, do you know how did this get made? Have I you, don't know what that is. Oh, you got to listen to this podcast. It's um, Jason Manzoukas, Paul Shear, and June Diane Raphael, and it's called How Did This Get Made? And they have every episode they watch a quote unquote bad movie, mm-hmm. and then they just talk for an hour about, about how, how terrible <laughs> it is and why it's bad. Uh-huh. It's okay. one of the greatest podcasts. On I, I imagine I've been the subject of. Oh no no oh, oh I doubt no no oh, no 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 I'm, no no fucking way. I, I did one recently. I did one of their last. Live shows and we did um, Lake Placid, which okay. was that um, crocodile. Oh yes, movie. yes, written by uh, uh, Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer's husband, yeah, David, David Kelly. E. Kelly. Yeah, <laughs> it is the biggest piece of fucking garbage <laughs> you've ever seen, and it's not okay. like fun. Like this is bad, but it's fun. It's not even fun. Oh, okay. Because it's trying to sort of like sub- subvert the genre and be kind of funny, but mm. then also like very sincere and tearing, and like people's heads get fucking bitten off by <laughs> crocodiles. And, Come on! It, it, but also like none of those actors. Uh, we could whatever. That's a different show. Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know what we were talking about before that. Um, <laughs> oh, he did a, that David Mamet movie. The, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So at any rate. Uh, uh, Art Linson wrote a, gr- a great couple of books, and then uh, uh, he wrote "It's Pound of Flesh," I believe is that co- is what that one's called. And, and uh, oh, okay. Charles Grodin also wrote a oh, very yeah. funny one called uh, "It Would Be So Nice If You Weren't Here." Yes, yeah. Um, and I kind of wanted to do what he did, which is a very wry, droll take yeah. on how ridiculous show business is. Yeah, this all is. Uh, and and I, to some degree, you know, obviously, I don't, I don't, I his is you know wonderful and. Uh, uh, I, for, and for a while, I considered doing a Michael Caine style how-to um, about mm-hmm. the business um, because Michael Caine's book is really an excuse for him to tell fun stories. It's great. Uh, um, and, uh, uh, but it's ostensibly, you know, about Michael Caine uh, on film acting. Film acting, yeah. Uh, and it's a great book. It's, it's a great. great for, any, for any actor. Oh, it's great. It's a, great, it's a delight. Great book. But I, but, uh, I, so I, I was torn because I, 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 for a while I, I, I toyed with making this book, uh, calling it Etiquette for Actors and just basically going through all the ways you can be an asshole yeah. on the set. Yeah. Um, because well, there's nobody that tells you. There's nobody that teaches you. Absolutely. Um, there's no book called Etiquette for Actors. So, uh, but, but, that, but that went away after I, I realized the, the structure of the thing made more sense as a as a series of escalating uh, weirdness. Yeah. Let's take the briefest of breaks to talk to you about DraftKings because baseball season is here. And that means you can play daily fantasy baseball games right now on DraftKings and win cash. And then they send you cash like to your bank account or to your PayPal, to your credit card, however it works. If you win, you get cash immediately. I know because I've won. I've used this app. I used it for football, and it was a problem. (laughs) But it's real, real fun. It's instant cash. It's instant gratification. It's like a new season. Every time you play, you pick two pitchers and eight players, and you get to stay under this pretend salary cap that they have. And if you win, you can win ten bucks. You can win fifty bucks. You can win hundred thousand dollars. Doesn't it, meant, it depends on how many people you play against. It's amazing. So, go to DraftKings.com now and use promo code READ to play for free in the hundred thousand dollar fantasy baseball contests. Okay, first place takes home ten thousand. So type in READ. 
at DraftKings.com right now. That's DraftKings.com. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you spent a lot of time early in the book about um, talking about your experience at Stage Door Manor, yes. which is this infamous um, summer camp for theater kids that has, it's a very prestigious place. It's become a prestigious place. Yeah. When I went there, it was it was summer camp. It was meatballs, yeah. except you were doing shows right. at the same time. Right um, now, you, we could not get away with any of that stuff. I right. mean, uh, you know, parents they would there would be a lawsuit a of week, course. of course, uh, for what the stuff that we got away with. But that place is enormous, and so yeah. many of my friends back east. I, I my sort of my stage war manner. I was older, but was Williamstown. I oh, was sure. an apprentice there, and mm-hmm. sort of you know. But that's legit. Well, I mean. You're still smoking a lot of dope and chasing <laughs> girls and, you know, yes. like building costumes, quote unquote. Yes. And, but, uh, you know, you're just getting, it's, you know, part of it is like sex camp as yeah. well, you know? Um, but you talk about this. That's this, my next book, by the way, <laughs> Sex Camp. Which I will also read in a day. Thank you. Um, you talk about, you say, um, when I started taking classes at Stage Door, I initially bristled at the amount of deep study being applied to acting. It all seemed like a parody of thespionic pretension. And then you get to a point where um, the idea of, as the weeks went on, I was slowly warming to the idea that acting exercises were kind of interesting rather than ridiculous. And I wondered, because I've had, I had that same experience. I came into those classes going, are you This is the dumbest thing kidding? ever. <laughs> yes. I've got to flap around on the floor like I'm a piece of bacon. Yeah. <laughs> How is that going to help me play happy in, in fucking, fucking death of a I mean, <laughs> help me out here. Translate, acting teacher. But, but you'll but, find yourself yes. in doing death of a salesman and going, wait a minute. Okay, I'm going to pitch something here. Bacon. Hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> he likes bacon. <laughs> How did you get to that place where you started, where you, you were like, oh, I can take something from this and, and use yeah. it as a practical way to become a, a a better actor. Well, what you realize, especially in in summer camp, is uh, you're in your early teen years, which is really when you start understanding that other people are emotionally vulnerable and that you can make fun of that, uh, <laughs> which is horrible and mean. Um, uh, but I think one of the reasons that I found a lot of that, that those exercises pretentious was that these people were actually being very vulnerable during them. You know, they're actually putting themselves out there yes. in a way that's embarrassing. Yes, they are. You know, uh, uh, I mean, uh, I remember this kid, one kid, telling a story. You were supposed to go up and – this one exercise was you're supposed to go up uh, in front of everybody and tell a story about – Something painful in your life, something, you know, that really hurt you. Uh-oh. And then when people in the audience felt empathy with you, they were supposed to come up and touch your hand or, hold, you know, touch you somewhere. But they're, Holy you know. shit. And uh, this one kid was telling a story and he, he had a voice that was sort of like this and he was very serious and he was telling a story and he, uh, <laughs> uh, he said, well, I, I, when I was very young, I, I uh, was fascinated. Uh, I, I. I saw a a tube of toothpaste, and I, I un I undid the top, and I I wondered wh- what would happen if I if I squirted the the toothpaste up my nose, <laughs> and 
all of a sudden I realized why he spoke that way. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and I burst out laughing, <laughs> uh, which is truly awful and cruel. That's the opposite um, way that it, you should respond. This is exactly not what you should do in, in that situation. Um, and that had literally uh, screwed up his sinuses Holy for fuck. years. Holy fuck. And uh, – uh, and, but he was choosing this as his moment of of very real vulnerability. Yes, yes. Uh, and and so so there was that moment that I realized, okay, here's a guy putting himself out, yeah. and I laughed at him. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I started to realize what an act of bravery it was to be an idiot in front of people. Yeah. Uh, and to not that he was an idiot, obviously, you know, he was being vulnerable, of course, but to allow yourself to truly, uh, you know, uh, 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 be. You know, uh, just a, a regular human, just yeah. a person who with flaws, yeah. and and um, and uh, and so for teen for a, as a teenager, that's a big deal. That oh, you know, you you suddenly realize, oh, you know, there's a there's a whole other emotional life that other people have. My emotional life isn't the most important thing <laughs> at this moment. Exactly, actually, yeah. other people's emotional life matters. Right. Uh, so uh, so that that's probably the biggest thing I learned at that at that camp. Yeah. But also it was like boot camp because they you you were just constantly doing shows. So you saw a million shows. You performed in a million shows. That's great. And you and you had two weeks to put on you know the sound of music or yeah. you know some huge show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was hard. Yeah. Uh, it was just incredibly hard. I feel like the, the most I took from Williamstown was seeing plays. I went to yeah. a small college that didn't have a theater department, and I didn't see anything. And I didn't grow up in a creative family, so I wasn't seeing theater. But going to Williamstown and seeing a play every night, mm-hmm. like that was more of a learning experience than actually being in a class with a teacher. Yeah. To see what it could look like. And to see people take d- d- perform in ways that you didn't expect, or or make a weird choice, that yeah, you're like okay, the, I didn't, okay, yeah, I did not see it's that. It's okay coming, to take, but, the, yeah, mm-hmm. I would, that's too much of a risk for me. But oh, that person's doing it, and they can behave in that way. Oh, wow, okay. And all of a sudden, you're sort of like mm-hmm. these doors start opening to you, watching other people take risks. Yeah. You know, similar to what that kid did, open that door, and you like, oh God, okay, yeah, other people are having their own sort of moments of vulnerability. Exactly, exactly. Um, did you, because your folks um, were creative people, actors, playwrights, did you grow up reading, were there books around? Did you like read a lot of plays when you were a kid? Um, no, I did not. I was uh, I was into science fiction as a kid. And, uh, I'm, you know, I was peripherally around it. I saw uh, probably more theater than most kids. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the big... But but I wasn't into it until I was around 14, uh, 12 or 13. Yeah, 13 around, I guess. Uh, and I saw uh, Sweeney Todd on Broadway, which was this an amazing, huge production. Mm. Uh, uh, they literally they, – they took uh, the gantry crane from a, from a foundry in, you know, in Pennsylvania and rebuilt it on stage. And so they had all the sets Whoa. moved around by this gigantic crane on the it – was, it was nuts. Plus, it was an absolutely amazing piece of theater and yeah. music and all that stuff. And it was such a display uh, – a display of, of – Mastery of just you know uh, music of lyrics of acting of singing of set design of direction of every on every level that it, w- it, it you could not help but be in awe yeah um, and so that and, and that's you know that just hit me at that moment you know and right. I so to, for the rest of my life I have tried to somehow participate in something that great 
Wow. Uh, interestingly, I didn't put that in the book. I don't know why I didn't mention it. Now that I think about it, that was such a big deal That's to me. That's story. I'm yeah. surprised I didn't uh, mention that. Oh. I guess there's no story to it other than, holy shit. You well, know? yeah, it made, it, it <laughs> um, made it, but, it, uh, an enormous impression on you, and it's something yeah. that you still carry with you today. Yeah. And and I realized that I that that wow. that being a that as an actor, I just want to contribute to something good. Yeah, I don't have too. to be the Great. star of something good. I don't have to, you know. I'm. I just want to, you know. If I, you know, was hanging out with Francis Ford Coppola, I said maybe a mafia movie. I don't know, just something to think about. I don't know. I think you might <laughs> might be up your alley. So there's and, this I, shark. <laughs> I, I don't know what happens, but know, there's a shark. A shark. Yeah, everybody freaked out. Take it from and, there, Stephen. <laughs> exactly. Um, you talk about it in the book uh, about your mother receiving a bad review. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing passage. We, t- we talk. I don't want to. I don't well, want to give too much away about the book because I want it, people it, to go it, and buy the book. But it, it made a huge impression on me as a kid. My my mother is a playwright and uh, uh, and wrote a musical uh, called "On Getting My Act Together and Taking It on the Road," which was a, a very uh, autobiographical and uh, uh, and considered sort of one of the primary pieces of uh, feminist theater of its time. It was yeah. in the seventies um, and. It uh, and it it had an interesting uh, uh, path to to becoming what ended up being a hit. It it, it opened uh, at the New York Shakespeare Festival uh, during a newspaper strike, uh, so there was no uh, 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 you know there was no way to advertise it. Right. Um, the the when the strike was over, the first review to come out, the the all powerful New York Times review was scathing. I mean, down to just insulting my mother's hair. You know, <laughs> um, and my mother, who had worked so hard on this show, and it was years of her life, and it in fact was her life. You know, it yeah. was, it was uh, as I said, very autobiographical. I remember uh, walking into her bedroom and hearing her crying, and you never see your mother cry. <laughs> you know, nobody's mom cries. It's just, they're your mom. You know, and she, you know, uh, 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 she. Uh, she, you know, obviously put it away and functioned fine the rest of the day, you know. But but I but I could see just the the depths of the sorrow yeah. of an artist who really uh, put everything into that everything that she had into something, and to have it dismissed in this really awful, almost casual way, mm. um, was clearly very painful for her. The the fascinating thing to me, and I, and I, I you know, uh, uh, was that Joe Papp, who then ran the the Shakespeare Festival and has become legendary among theater producers, um, let the show run uh, for another uh, five or six weeks, um, just because he liked it. <laughs> you know, and in that five or six weeks, it started selling out. It just just mm-hmm. on word of mouth. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, and it ended up running for three years off Broadway, and is God still damn. one of the longest running shows off Broadway. Uh, and and but but it it you know and and in, and everybody in New York knows you know a pan from the New York Times is in, still incredibly hard Tell to yeah. to surmount. Yeah. Um, but I realized you know there's there things will always surprise you. You know the, you know uh, mm. and. Uh, and even though she clearly had been decimated emotionally at that moment, she she gathered herself and she still made us breakfast. <laughs> and uh, and even though I knew she had been you know cut to the bone by this thing, 
uh, she still functioned and she showed up. She went to the show and and you know what? If you keep you just keep going, y- you could get what you were going for. Right. Have you since talked to her at all about that story? About have you mentioned it? When was the last time you? Um, she knows know, you saw her. Uh, yeah. She yes, she knows and and uh, and I think. She's, uh, you know, now it's, it's it, you know, it, it seems silly to have been hurt so deeply by a review. You know, uh, uh, well, you know, I, 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 it still happens to me. It's generally, I realize it's the ones that I agree with. Uh, <laughs> that when they're, when they're negative and I go, you know what, he's right. That's yeah. when it, it cuts me. <laughs> you know, yeah. it really hurts. Um, but when they're just wildly off base, you can just kind of say, ah, you know what, he's nuts. You know, they, yeah. uh, who knows what movie they saw, you know. Right, right. Um, and then there's times when you make something and you like it and it just totally doesn't get the get the reception you expected. Yeah. Uh, you know, I made this I, I made a movie called Hit by Lightning which I I which I really like. I think it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh uh the worst critical reception of anything I've done. It's like as 11% on Rotten Tomatoes, right. you know. And, uh and it it's it's this sweet little uh, uh, you know, murder comedy made for less than you know. It's a scrappy little movie. N- yeah. Nothing to draw anybody's hatred. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and absolutely. Yet, absolutely. And yet that was the one they decide to unload on. Right. Like, okay. Well, you know. What's funny? Which ones rise to... to the top, and other ones that fall to the wayside? It's Who knows? completely arbitrary. Yeah. Friends, I hate to interrupt this interview, but I have news. Rich Summer has a podcast, and it's called Cardboard, and you need to listen to it right now. It's really good. You like games, right? Well, Rich has a passion for games that is so deep and undeniable. He is a board game evangelist, basically. So you need to listen to this show. Every episode, he talks about brand new games. He's like so plugged into that community. He's on the cutting edge of the of the board game world. He's going to introduce you to games, to games that he likes, old classic games, and then he's going to talk to people about games that they love, like me, Nate Cordry. I think I'm on next week's episode because I talk about this really weird dice baseball game that I play because I'm a weirdo. Cardboard, Rich Summer, Thursdays on Wolf Pop. It's out right now. Go download it and listen to it. He's great. Speaking of movies, it's time to transition to the Pretty in Pink discussion. Oh, okay. Of the interview. <laughs> I, uh, I rewatched it last night in preparation. Jeez. So you this. read the book all day and then watched Pretty in Pink. I spent I'm all day with you yesterday, <laughs> John. You feel you know me. I now. know you better than you know yourself. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, you there's a there's an amazing story of you getting cast in the movie in the book <clears throat> and then going to see um Breakfast Club in the theater. Yes. And yeah. knowing that you were about in, to be a part of that fucking club. Yeah. Yeah, it was very God uh, damn. Uh, cuz cuz at at the point that uh Pretty in Pink was casting uh, John Hughes had done Sixteen Candles, uh, and that was a you know huge hit, huge, uh, and was a terrific movie. Great fucking uh, movie. Uh, the, 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 the racism, uh, don't worry about it. Uh, we'll talk about that. <laughs> let's later. talk about the long That's duck for a different stuff podcast. later. That's for a different <laughs> podcast. But other than that, a terrific, terrific movie, and uh, uh, the uh, and so. And, and I was familiar with John Hughes as a writer because I loved his stuff in National Lampoon. So I 
so I, I was already excited about it and I excited about the possibility of it. And and I read the thing and I first of all I was a little taken aback that it was a drama and not a comedy. Yeah, right. Um and and uh, you know, obviously I went through the audition process and got the role and was was super excited, but not I didn't I didn't realize it was th- that I was in for the ride that I was in for until I saw mm. the, the, the Breakfast Club came out literally like two weeks after I got the part. And oh uh, oh, and wow. so I go into the theater and, you know, people are excited about this movie, but they don't really know, you know, because it's the pre-internet days. Yeah, so yeah. nobody knows exactly what the movie's about. And the audience just went insane. <laughs> uh, and, and it was, you know, a great piece of work. And uh, and to sit in the audience and go, oh, I'm, I'm doing the next one of these was uh, was a – a very cool feeling, you know. You just you feel like okay, I'm, uh, you know, I just got chosen for something, you know. You must have had trouble sleeping sleeping that night. Oh you yes, must have been oh yes, just... uh, I, for weeks. Uh, and but but I approached doing Pretty in Pink very, you know, like an excited little, you know, uh, uh, yeah. uh, intern, you know, because <laughs> yeah, right. I was going to learn from Molly and Andrew, and they're very reserved people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, so when we started working together, you know, I realized in the book, and I I, I reread that chapter. Because I realized I sort of give the impression that they uh, are fucking were, dickheads. Were dickheads, and they they were not dickheads. They seem like dickheads. No, they were not dickheads. John, see, see, I regret that. I regret that. I wish I hadn't given that impression. And I and because no, what it was was they were very reserved, and I was very outgoing. Yeah. And when that when the twain meet, sometimes you get along great. Yeah. When that when it happens, They're, oh, he's the fun one. He's and there she's the quiet one. Right. No, it was not that. It was. Uh, it was chalk and cheese. It yeah. was, uh, uh, it, it was, you know, nothing quite. Uh, and 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 it wasn't because they were unkind to me. It just they were sort of taken aback at this guy who was really putting it out there. You know, they just, you know, they they were used to to acting in much more intimate terms and. Uh, uh, and but they're actors. You're constantly surrounded by extroverts. I mean, shouldn't you well, be used to? I, I, I don't know if they were. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if uh, uh, they're not extroverts. They are not. Right. Uh, uh, Molly Ringwald and Andrew McCarthy are just not that personality right. type. Um, and even you know, even Jimmy Spader, who he's much more of an extrovert, and he and I got along. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, but but Molly and Andrew, you know, they because as I said, they were reserved. I kind of took that reserve to mean they they had some problem with me. Yeah, right. And right. in the end, I found out they, they Andrew sort of did. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, but but Molly actually, in retrospect. You know, she had a, a group of friends that she welcomed me into. Uh, even though I didn't really hang out with her, I hung out with her friends. Oh, okay, um, that's cool. So, and I was, you know, new to LA, and yeah, and and so, and I didn't really know anybody. And so, you know, in even though she was not personally forthcoming, she wasn't uh, she wasn't mean or anything. And I and I feel like I, I might have given that impression in the book, and I hope I didn't. Do you think that um, maybe part of it um, was that they were? Um, because you have the fu- it's like granted it's her movie but mm. it, the way that i see it is that it's it's your fucking movie like you are the character that pops it's it's when you talk about that movie you don't i don't know andrew mccarthy's character's name I don't mm-hmm. remember that. I don't. Blaine. Blaine. It's not right. a name. It's a major plot. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the like, the, the, you you provide the fireworks of that movie, and I wonder if when they were watching this happen and watching you fucking just explode and just have a fully realized character that is imp- fucking impossible not to fucking love, that they were like, 
oh, fuck. I He's going to take this movie I, from us. No, I think – no, I do not think they were in the slightest bit threatened. I think – I call bullshit. <laughs> um, I don't believe so. No, I, I believe – uh, they just had a very different way of working. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, but of course I took it personally at the time. Fuck yeah. Because I was 19. Yeah, you know? of course. <laughs> I would have um, done the same thing. And, and, uh, oh, and it, but it worked. You know, honestly, uh, Howie, I talked with Howie Deutsch, the director, um, because of the book. I said, oh, let me take you out to lunch. We'll talk. Yeah. And, uh, and he, uh, uh, he said, look, we, we cast you because there was that discomfort right. because there was that awkwardness. Right. Um, it wasn't supposed to be a thing where you guys are three, you know, three caballeros, you know, you all hang out exactly. and have a great time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, no, it's, uh, you know, it's supposed to be an awkward relationship. Right. And so, uh, and, it, and you know, in that respect, it absolutely worked. Yeah. Yeah, you know? for sure. Um, but, uh, uh, but it was, but it was funny to me because I, I point out that, that I ended up having the same experience I had in, in movie high school as I had in actual high school, which was never feeling like I fit in and always being nervous about who I was going to eat lunch with. Yeah. And, and you know, it was like, come, does this never stop? And yet you <laughs> love that the character that Ducky had this, this bravado and confidence mm. as well, this like rapier wit and would say whatever the fuck he wanted to a lot of different people. And that's something that you, that, was something that you didn't have in high school, and you sort no. of loved that he had that. Yes, exactly. That yeah. was what I loved about him, and it gave me a chance in a in an actual safe environment. Yeah, yeah. To be that guy. Yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, uh, and that and and you know, kudos to uh, to Howie and to John because they had mm. they wanted me to bring a lot of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, uh, and in fact, I you know, I point out that Howie. Uh, the, the the dance in the record store was uh, and I I should have I should have put this in the book uh, uh, there, there, it's it, you know it's a paragraph in, mm. the, in the script it's, right. he comes in uh, right. very energetically you know he's kind of clownish uh, he's, uh, and then you know cut to yeah. her line you right. know <laughs> right. um, and. Uh, you know, I, 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 we made that into a number. You yeah. know, Kenny Ortega, who's a wonderful choreographer, uh, uh, you know, made it into like a big deal. Yeah. And this was the first week of shooting. Um, and once how he realized that he was going to shoot it, he realized he was going to be uh uh he was going to be behind schedule for the rest of the movie yeah. because of this mm-hmm. uh and that's a ballsy choice to make for a first time director to say you know what every day the, the studio's going to give me shit and i'm going to deserve it because i took an extra day and a half to shoot this scene but it was worth it but it was worth it uh, and he had it yeah he saw that yeah and he saw that and that was very gutsy on his part um I don't want to give too much away again. People go by the book, but I, I was really surprised to hear about this the all the different ending of the movie. You know, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you did? Oh, oh I, I thought that that had been that gotten common? out. Uh, Maybe, I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, it probably has. I'm not plugged into sort of like the cult sort of following of those 80s mm-hmm. movies. So it probably is. I'm sure it is. But to, it was a surprise to me. Oh, okay. And, well, uh, no, you know what? Actually, my manager, the the woman who who uh, you know uh, forced me to ma- write this book, uh, <laughs> she she, uh, she actually was unaware of that as well. Right. Uh, so you know, and I've worked with her for twelve years or thirteen years now. Right. Um, so you know, you're not alone. Um, uh, yeah, that the the original ending of Pretty in Pink was very different from what the the movie has now. Yeah. It was uh, it was basically the ju- Ducky shows up at the um, at the prom. Uh, uh, you know, with Molly's character Andy there, and 
they go to you know they they walk into the the prom and of course the whole prom stops because that's what happens whenever the slightly poorer people walk in the room. Yeah. Every prom stops. <laughs> you yep. hear the record scratch. Of course. <laughs> and, uh, Get out of here, pores. Yes, exactly. And uh and then uh 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 Ducky extends his hand, and and he and Andy dance a a the the spotlight dance to David Bowie's Heroes, and right. that's the end of the movie. Yeah, and you know, and and Andrew McCarthy and and Jimmy Spader just looking on like, oh, you know, we blew it. Yeah, uh, and that was supposed to be the end. Well, test audiences did not like that ending. Um, because they had invested in the love story between Molly and Andrew's character. Yeah. Uh, and so, so when now in, in the end of the movie when, you know, Ducky has this hero moment, he then has yet another hero moment when he says, listen, he's the guy you should be with. Uh, and uh, uh, I – I had such mixed feelings about it. I mean, I go on and about of it course. in the book, you yeah. know, obviously because I I I understood why they felt um, that it would be necessary, but at the same time, I felt like, oh gosh, I guess I blew it. I guess I just wasn't uh, th- th- love worthy enough, right. <laughs> you yeah. know. Right. Um, uh, right. And I make a, a lot of fun of the fact of that that uh, when I. Uh, that Robert Downey Jr. actually was uh, considered to play Ducky for a long time. And Molly had sort of blithely admitted fairly recently that had Robert Downey Jr. played Ducky, she would have totally seen them getting together at the end. <laughs> I was like, oh, but since I played him, you can't – that's completely out of the question. <laughs> that's just uh, – uh, and uh, Jesus. Uh, she swears that she that she didn't mean that as an insult. Uh, <laughs> but, well, it doesn't uh, matter if you mean it to be an insult or not, <laughs> sweetheart. Uh, at any rate uh, – uh, so I, you know, but I, I make, I have a lot of fun with that in the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, I won't get into too much um, about uh, uh, the, the the Charlie Sheen of it all in the book because people need to buy the book and read your point of view of it because it's really compelling. Oh well, thank you, for thank million- you. Uh, yeah, I felt a little weird that the Hollywood Reporter re- uh, uh, excerpted the book and that was the chunk I they know. took. I was like, but that's three. That- Chapters but that of twenty seven. <laughs> that couldn't have surprised you. No, no. You know, I mean, I, was, when they told me they wanted to excerpt it, I was like, "Oh, I'm so excited!" And then, then, then no, I was like, "Of course, <laughs> it's me talking about going to a prostitute." And exactly. Great, great. I won't get much yeah. into it just because people should get the book. But I just wanted mm-hmm. to read briefly the um, the final release that he, um, the public statement that he posted mm. after when it was when. Um, the show is moving on without him. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, good luck, Chuck. My fans may tune in for a minute, but at the end of the day, no one cares about your feeble show without me. Shame on you. You sad, silly fool, a-hole, pussy loser. Put on the gloves, you low-rent, nutless sociopath. I'll beat your chicken shit soul in a courtroom into a state, state of, of gratitude. gratitude yeah. A state <laughs> of surrender. Wow, I'm sure your children are so proud of you. <laughs> you can't teach him scathing. how to be a stupid bitch, a narcissist, a coward, it goes on, a loser, <laughs> a spineless rat. I am out here with my fans every night. The message is crystal clear. No Charlie Sheen, no show. Yeah. Where did you read that? Um, I read that I read that on TMZ where where you know all great uh, you know, uh, uh, it's or Edward Oscar, R. Murrow he, yeah, he cut took his it out teeth of a, yeah, yes, as a exactly. cub reporter. Yeah. Yes, he, he took that out of an Oscar Wilde play, actually. <laughs> uh, 
Um, you know, it, it's funny because Charlie actually does have a, a, a gift of the gab. He has a certain uh, <laughs> poetry to certainly uh, turn a to, phrase. Yes, he can turn a phrase. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I read that. It was that was actually a heartbreaking thing for me to read. I bet um, that was the low point uh, after. I mean, obviously, I was. Uh, he he had been fired at that point from Two and a Half Men, and. Uh, uh, but I still had some hope that that he, having been fired, that would be the thing that would shake him up, and he would go to rehab, he would get sober, and you know maybe in six months we could start the show again, yeah, or something like that. There was still a part of me that felt that was possible, yeah. And then uh, once they had had the idea that they could you know recast and you know find somebody new for the show, that was. Charlie's reaction and and it was so awful and horrible to Chuck and uh, horrible to everybody else on the show including me obviously yeah. that uh, that it just broke my heart it just felt like th- this is the um, uh, this is the moment when there's no there's no re- return there's no there's, you know he's crossed yeah uh, uh, he's crossed the final bridge and uh, uh, you know I I I you know, he he was the the first. Uh, here's another story I should have put in the book. The very first photo shoot we did for Two and a Half Men, uh, he asked me at one point, "What what day is it today?" And I said, "It's the you know 14th of June or whatever." He said, "I've been sober for two years now," <laughs> you know. And he was, and it Whoa. dawned on him at that moment, and uh, and it was it was lovely to see, uh, you know, that. That he he was finally in that state where you're not counting the days, <laughs> you know, yeah. that he had actually not thought about the fact that it would be two years. And I thought, oh, this is such a great encouraging sign. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, the first few years of the show were fun and great. And, you know, and, and he was a consummate pro. And, you know, uh, you know I, I, I talk about the, the last night of the show when he just – when the, he couldn't remember a line and, and, and that – you know, he was always the guy who was a rock, uh, uh, you know, on the show. Yeah. He always remembered his lines. I was the one screwing up. Right. You know, to see, you know, to see him uh, fall apart was, was uh, uh, you know, all the more horrible. And uh, so I, I – uh, it was also tough for me as a person who – because Chuck is my friend and Chuck Laurie, the, the producer of Two and a Half Men. And, and I, you know, he always felt that he was Charlie's friend and Charlie was my friend as well. So, you know, we were three friends. Yeah. Uh, to, to, to feel it just being ripped apart in a paragraph yeah. was really brutal. brutal. And, and, and I – and uh, to see – and 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 I think I, I part of what was uh, interesting in the book was to to go over the fact that I I that that you know Chuck Laurie is is famously hard on writers he's he's very demanding in the writers room and uh, and that's one of the reasons he is uh, has achieved what he's achieved you know um, I love working with him he's great to me uh, as a performer um, and uh, uh, and he was great to Charlie. You know, he was always great to Charlie. The the perceived slights that Charlie felt from Chuck mm. never made sense to me because there was never any problem between the two of them. Yeah. He, you know, the the it, it was Charlie had an issue with how he felt uh, Charlie or Ch- Chuck was in the world and decided to mm. explode about it yeah, for no reason. Tantrum, you know, yeah. and uh, and it was uh, and and just delusional, just yeah. not not in any way corresponding to reality. What I took from all of it was just like how terrifying addiction is. Yeah. 
and how I'm so fucking lucky. And I hope mm. this doesn't fucking start at some point in my life. I hope that I can fucking keep that shit at bay. <laughs> um, but that if you have issues with addiction, it can it can take over everything. Oh my gosh. Uh, and, yeah. Because uh, he's such a great guy. He, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I hope that the book does he comes, not come he off does. No, you, unsympathetic. No, he comes I, across I, as a fucking great guy who yeah. just is unable to manage mental illness and addiction in a way that yeah. it just got out of his hands. But the one thing I will say, the one smart thing that he did was send Lenny Dykstra to Warner Brothers. Yeah. That I support. <laughs> I, I still, by I'm the way, I don't that. know if that's true. It sounds like a brilliant idea, as I said. I you fucking know. hope it's true. <laughs> oh, please be true. Um, of all the fucking, <laughs> know, oh boy. Is... Lenny Dykstra. <laughs> yes. Yikes. Uh, uh, that was a, yeah. Uh, uh, well, you got to read the book for that one. You do. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to nope. spoil that no, one on fuck, there. No way. <laughs> I'll, I'll close the interview by just reading, um, the uh, the epigraph that you have in this book is a line from an OK Go song, What to Do. And the epigraph is, sweetheart, you'll find mediocre people do exceptional things all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I To me, that just, uh, it, it just meant we're, we're all flawed. You know, we all don't, you know, all of us see other people achieving things and assume that that they are imbued with something that we we simply don't have, uh, uh, you know. And but the the truth is, uh, screwed up people are capable of doing the, the great things or just the things that they they want, you know. <laughs> um, and it was mess. It was meant as a as a as a message of 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 hope <laughs> um, for for mediocre people <laughs> everywhere, like me. Uh, uh, but you know, I, I I I you know I love their their lyrics. Uh, uh, you know, if you I don't know if you're an OK Go fan. But, sure. Uh, uh, I'm a big big. Uh, uh, proponent of their their songs. John Cryer wrote a book. It's a memoir. It's called So That Happened. It's in bookstores right now. So get in your car or get your shoes on and head over to your local bookstore and pick it up because it is so worth the read. I read it in a day and it was a just, it flew by because it is so fun and he's really candid and fearless and I appreciate you taking those risks, John. The oh. book is great. Thanks oh. for coming in. Thank you so much for asking me to be here. Yeah. It's another episode of Reading Aloud. We're all finished. And again, my enormous thanks to John for coming into the studio and being so candid and honest. Uh, the book is really fun. If you like these kinds of books, like Hollywood insider memoir books, it's great. And you'll like it even more, obviously, if you're a Cryer fan, because he gets really specific about everything you want to know about. So thank you, John, so much. Uh, the book is wonderful. It's going to be a huge success, and uh, I'm so glad he came in and chatted about it. We're off next week, but we'll be back in two weeks with a book club episode, F. Scott Fitzgerald's Tender is the Night. Pick it up and be a part of the book club, and we'll, uh, we'll see you then. Okay, goodbye. Oh, you hit me like a hurricane. Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear.